sign. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the underground. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, your pet goldfish that you may have flushed down the toilet, but if not, he is welcome to, or she, welcome back. Pop Culture Underground, Episode 9, the show that is bringing you unforgiving takes, passionate opinion on all things pop culture, news, reviews, media, and more from a fan just like you. Welcome back to the underground for another exciting episode of pop culture underground and i know i say that every episode i gotta say that i gotta say that every episode what am i gonna do come on here and say welcome back to pop culture underground for another awful episode we have some really really awful news to get to this week so let's go ahead and get into it you guys wouldn't want that nobody would want that i wouldn't have a show if that was the case but the few bits of news that we did get are worthy they are worthy just like mjolnir in the hands of thor they are worthy enough to bring the thunder down on the pop culture DC Marvel world. Yes, all of it. We've got all three segments here. In DC Weekly, we cover all things DC. Movies, trailers, news, TV shows, games, whatever. In Marvel, we cover all things Marvel. Same thing I just said about DC, but applies for the Marvel side. And in Pop C Weekly, we talk about anything else that is not Marvel or DC. Since nowadays, Marvel and DC command such a big section of the pop culture world there's just, we just have to put it all into one other category, and that is Pop C Weekly or Pop Culture Weekly, if you'll have it. We we really like to talk about games here, and I don't know why I'm saying we, what do I got, Invisible Friend sitting next to me here. I like, I like to talk about games a lot in that segment, but also Star Wars belongs there, and a bunch of other properties that just aren't DC and Marvel, as I was saying. Now, one thing I want to mention, last week, I debuted a new DC Weekly bumper, and actually, I should not call it new, because those of you that came over from the Supercast might recognize that bumper. Yes, that is the same bumper that I used on the Supercast, for well, the late days of the Supercast for DC Weekly, but I did grind it down a little bit because at the end, it had the Joker talking about how he, he's not he, he's stupid, but he's not stupid enough to fight the Supercast, and obviously, this is not the Supercast, and I just can't replicate that voice myself. Trust me, if I could, I would have changed it out, but I had to kind of narrow it down a little bit, cut, cut some things out, work some editing magic, and uh, that bumper was done by Sturdy, who is the host and producer of the Talks on Docs podcast. Got him. I could never get that right when I was doing the Supercast. I apologize, Sturdy, but if you guys are out there, listen. Listen to that podcast, especially if you're into documentaries. Now, it's not a whole 100% documentary podcast. I would say about 99%, but there is a little bit of a 1% of some Sturdy snarkcasm, I like to call it. He's got a lot of snark, he's got a lot of sarcasm, he's got a lot of jokes, he's got a lot of things that he loves to bring to that show, and he does it in a great way. Has some great, great guests on that show from time to time. What a fantastic show. Make sure you go and check that out, Talks with Docs. Sturdy is such a great guy. He is such a great guy. I I used to love it when he would come on the Supercast. And, And if I'm not mistaken, he was on the longest Supercast episode we ever did, which was over five hours, and I believe he was on that one. He was a trooper, man. He was a trooper, a soldier. Uh, I mean, uh, almost a literal one, but I don't want to get too personal about him. But you know what? He's just a fantastic guy. Great guy. Love him. Still wish I talked to him all the time today like I did then. So please go check that out. You will not be disappointed. The man has a voice. He has he has a voice, a multi-voice, if I may add. He used to do almost all the bumpers for the Supercast show. So, hey, Sturdy, if you're listening... I'm, I'm putting it out there right now. I need some more from you, man. I need some more. No, I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, go check it out. Great guy. Fantastic podcast. 
but an even better guy. Just love the man. And before I turn this into a sturdy love fest here, let's move on. Guys, The Boys Season 2 Episode 6 came out over the weekend. And I just want to mention that I had called almost everything about Stormfront's reveal on the Spoil It! The Boys Season 2 episode, which is a few episodes back. So that was really cool to see all that come to fruition. And a lot of you may say, well, it wasn't that hard to predict if you read the comics. And to that, I would have to agree. But they did tweak some things, change it up for the show. And I was right about most of that as well. I don't know if I can say I was right about 100% of it. But I would say about 90-95% I was right about, and I'm sure a lot of you had predicted that stuff as well, so I'm not trying to label myself as McGenius over here. Maybe maybe I am, I don't know. But in all seriousness, it was a great episode, and it really elevated Season 2 of The Boys. It's not like it was terrible. It, it, it was already receiving an Undie Award from me, and if you don't know what an Undie Award is, that is the top rating the top honor I give out, and that is an honor to my favorite show, The Office, who is talking about doing a reunion. In fact, Rain Wilson, who played Dwight, just came out today or yesterday, I can't remember, and said, hey, I would love to do a reunion. All kinds of things about reunions of that show have been popping up. I I would lose my shit if that happened. If we got that, I would have to go change my pants out. I would lose my shit, literally, figuratively, all kinds of ways I would lose my shit. I want an office reunion right now. And also, if you listen to Office Ladies, great podcast, by the way. A couple things I don't like about the podcast, but overall, fantastic podcast. I'm sure there's a lot of people who can say that about this one, right? They they are fantastic ladies. And it is so, so interesting to hear them talk about the behind the scenes and all the things that went into a lot of that show. Well, if you guys remember the episode where Dwight had caught a bat that was on Meredith, remember when it was up in the ceiling when they got found the... Uh, the animal droplets on the floor, the, the little poop on the floor, and Dwight goes investigates and finds it, and then it gets into the uh, the break room, and it attacks Meredith, and he basically attacks her trying to get it. Yeah, they used a live bat for that scene, and I had always wondered that. I had figured they did, but I did not know for sure. Well, now we know for sure because of that podcast, and if we didn't have that podcast, we might not ever know that information. So if you're an Office fan, you have got to be checking that podcast out. It is just hours upon hours of entertainment. And what's really, really cool to do is watch that show because they go back from episode one up until all the way. I'm sure they're going to do all nine seasons, I would imagine. So what you can do is you can start the podcast and listen to the first episode about the first episode of The Office and then watch that episode and then watch episode two and then listen to what they said about it or vice versa. Do it in whichever way you want, but it is a brilliant way to watch that show again. It breathes new life into The Office, which I almost thought was impossible. I mean, I've seen the series 10 times or more, I would imagine. I I, I consistently watch it every single day. Every day I watch that show, usually at bedtime. The, the show is just brilliant. I mean, there I don't understand the creators of that show and how they have so much brilliancy and so much creativity up in their heads that they were able to create episode after episode after episode of great, nonstop, smart, funny, comedic content. It's incredible. It's amazing. And it blows my mind thinking about how you could even do that. I mean, every episode of that show was brilliant. It was funny. There was no, I, I cannot think of one episode that I do not like on any level like any level at all. Of course, some episodes are better than others. The Convict being my absolute favorite episode. I have a coffee mug with Prison Mike on the front of it that says, that's just the way we talk in the clink. You know, I mean, that was my favorite episode, but there's so many of them. I mean, how can you really truly pick a favorite? The show was so good. Even when Michael Scott left, obviously those were the best seasons, clearly. 
But even when he left, they continued the brilliant comedic routes of that show. And it was incredible to see that transition. Almost every other TV show out there that loses their main star, like Michael Scott, do not continue to be good or do not continue to be good, at least on a level that's close to the level that they were good at. The Office does, in my opinion. In fact, there are things in the last two seasons that they couldn't have done with Michael Scott there that I actually am glad that they did do. Now, obviously, if I could have plucked Michael Scott back and put him back in those seasons, of course I would. Of course I would. And Steve Carell also just came out and said he almost thought about not coming back for the final episode of that show. And that would have been a heartbreaker because I'll never forget the first time I was watching that show, the finale. Oh my God. God, I lost it. I cried when Michael showed back up. I did. I cried. I bawled like a baby. I bawled like an absolute baby. And while I'm on the subject of The Office, I may as well tell you about the rating system in full, right? So if I absolutely love something, you cannot miss it. It is the it is the cream of the crop. What does he say in the convict episode for the bell of the ball? If it's the bell of the ball, it gets an Undie Award. And obviously, that's an honor of a Dundee Award that Michael gives out. But an Undie Award in celebration of pop culture underground. Get it? Yeah, terrible joke. But then I also give out Stanleys for things that are, you know, middle of the road, but maybe right up there by an undie or a lot closer to this next rating, a Toby. Yes, a Toby. But the main part of my rating system is an undie award, and then I also give a five-item rating related to whatever item is in the show, movie, game, whatever we're talking about. Like last week with WandaVision, I think I did uh, four and a half black and white TVs out of five or something like that. Th that's how I like to do that. So that's the main part of the rating system. But the Undie Award, the infamous Undie Award, is the top the, the, the top, prospe top prospect. We're not talking about football players here, are we? It is the top award that anything could receive on this podcast. So with that said, let's go ahead and get into things that we're going to be talking about this episode. My God. We're going to be kicking off things this week with Marvel Weekly, where we will be discussing a new Nick Fury Disney Plus show. What? Sam Jackson coming back? Richard E. Grant possibly in the Loki show? WandaVision Disney Plus page, the landing page on Disney Plus, the source code may have revealed the reveal date for that show. I'm going to tell you what that is. Over on the DC side, we're going to talk about a new casting, Hawkman has been cast for the Black Adam movie, and we got to talk about that, baby, because I am pumped, excited, and I thought this was a brilliant casting, in my opinion. And then over on the Pop C Weekly side, we're going to be talking about Titanfall 3, we're going to be talking about the Xbox Series X and some hand-on reviews, we're going to be talking about Assassin's Creed Valhalla, got a new story trailer, and we had a new The Boys spinoff announced. We're going to talk about what that is, what it could be exploring, my excitement level for it, and all of that. And then, whoa, something that just popped up, I'm, I'm going to have to add to Marvel Weekly here, is the Marvel 616 docuseries. The trailer was just released by Disney+. Plus. That is a docuseries that I am heavily excited for, heavily invested in. I've been watching a lot of documentaries lately. The Fire Fraud one on Hulu, the Fire Festival one on Netflix. I cannot get enough of those two documentaries. I've watched them probably six times. Just watched them again this morning, both of them. I also watched The Drive-In on Amazon Prime. That was a great, nostalgic, fantastic documentary that I thought was worth a watch since this whole coronavirus thing has kind of brought drive-ins back into the forefront, and it's actually fantastic. It's one of the silver linings and one of the great things that possibly could be coming from this pandemic. So I had a great time watching that drive-in documentary, 
And then Apollo 11, that one over on Hulu as well. The way they restored all of that footage from the moon landing was absolutely mind-blowing. I Mind blown watching that stuff. It was incredible. So documentaries and docuseries are becoming a big part of my life. Always have been. But I've been watching them even more now. And I cannot wait for this Marvel 616 history docuseries. It just looks... You watch that trailer and it just inspires you. It just straight up inspires you. But before I get too carried away, let's hit up Marvel Weekly. Parker, turn on the radio or something. Too damn quiet in here. Sure thing, Mr. Jameson. Alright, kicking off Marvel Weekly this week. It's something that has been in development since 2010. Something that's been talked about. Something that Sam Jackson has been pushing for this whole time. Ten years now. And he has finally been granted it. Samuel L. Jackson is finally set to get his own Disney Plus series as Marvel's Nick Fury. The Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. will headline his own show almost 10 years after the first rumors started to circulate that Jackson could get either a movie, which is what we most of us thought, or a TV show based on the character who first appeared in Iron Man back in 2008, and he was truly the glue that held the Marvel movies together before the characters united in The Avengers in 2012. And most recently, he and Maria Hill have served as the bridge between the main Marvel Cinematic Universe and Sony's Spider-Man movies. Variety broke the news first, and they are also reporting that Kyle Bradstreet is attached to write and executive produce the Marvel Studios financed series. This will not, however, be the first time Nick Fury has made his way to TV. So in 1998, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2's David Hasselhoff starred as Nick Fury in a Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV movie that was supposed to operate as a backdoor pilot for a potential series, which never came. As a result of that movie and the popularity of Jackson's take on the character, the actor has been asked in virtually every Marvel interview he has ever done since 2008 about the possibility of spinning Fury off into his own movie or TV series, and now it has finally happened. Jackson has actually been, he has been expressing enthusiasm for the idea for a long time now, but he's always left the decision up to Marvel. Of course, what other way could you go? His only time on a Marvel TV series to date was actually popping up in a pair of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episodes. Now, Jackson earned the role of Nick Fury after the Ultimate Universe re-envisioned the character as a black man, and artist Brian Hitch decided to model the character after Samuel L. Jackson. Now, in this variety story, there is no word as to whether Fury's show will happen in the 90s, the modern day, or somewhere in between, or whether it will be a straightforward spy story, or something that deals with a third of alien invaders or something else in the MCU. We don't know at this point. Now, I think that he is going to spearhead the movement of S.W.O.R.D. into the MCU. It was hinted at at the end of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's been hinted at in other MCU movies, end credit scenes, the Spider-Man Far From Home end credit scene in particular. And I think they're going to, you know, focus and build more off of that because I do believe S.W.O.R.D. is going to have a huge role in the MCU going forward, as we may have even seen in that WandaVision trailer where we had a little tease of them there, possibly. We don't know that for sure but we're pretty damn sure that's what we saw there. So, S.W.O.R.D. is going to be a big part of this, 
and Nick Fury's in space at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home. He is spearheading that whole sword organization, I believe, and I think that is what this show is going to focus on. I think it will have a lot of spy elements in it. If they do go back to the 90s, they're going to have to de-age Jackson again for a whole series, and I do not, I do not see that happening at all. I, I just don't see them doing that. I think this is for sure going to be a modern day thing, and, and I almost wonder when they came up with this idea because I had really figured that that Jackson and Fury was kind of written out of the MCU. I was actually shocked to see him in that end credit scene in Far From Home. I did not want him going anywhere. He's a great character. He brought the Avengers together. I mean, without him, you would not have the MCU. So we owe a lot to Sam Jackson and the character of Nick Fury, and, and I think this is just phenomenal, phenomenal news that we're going to be getting this series. I think this series could lay a lot of groundwork for the MCU to come if it is set in modern day. And I just, I think he can bring a whole lot to his series. We loved him in the movies. He's going to have even more of an opportunity to chew on this, take up scenes, just work that Sam Jackson magic. It's just, I, I am just ecstatic about this news because what he can do with a TV series, eight episodes is what I imagine it would be. I think he can do a lot with it. I mean, he can convey so many different emotions. He can get you pumped up. He can make you sad as hell. The man is a is a legend as an actor, a legend as a human being in general. So to see him get this is just really great to see. And I am extremely excited about this. And guys, I get excited about a lot of things, right? But I just... My, my mind is going everywhere here with the possibilities that they could do with the Nick Fury TV show if it is in modern day and what it could lay for the future of the MCU ahead. I mean, the man can take on anything, anything. So throw whatever you got at Nick Fury. He can handle it one eye or not. Bring it on, Marvel. Man, I, I, I love this news. I really like this news, if you can't tell. And if he really is heading up S.W.O.R.D. here and being the leader of S.W.O.R.D., and he's going to explore, like, maybe the origins of the heroes out there, that could lead him directly to the Eternals, the species from which Thanos descended from in the comics in the Eternals movie that we're going to get next year. You know, and that, that movie was delayed, unfortunately, but we're supposed to be getting it uh, at the tail end of next year, I believe. So that would be a direct... That could directly lead into the Eternals and the origins of heroes and the MCU in general. I Just the possibilities are absolutely endless with this show. Speaking of Disney Plus and Marvel Disney Plus shows, WandaVision may have revealed its release date through its landing page on Disney Plus. So if you look very closely at the source code, and if you know how to do all that, just get on Google Google it up. It's on Screen Rant. It's on comicbook.com. It's everywhere out there. It reveals that the show could be landing on November 27th. Now, obviously, this is not a confirmation. This is not confirmed. This is not set in stone. But I believe this is the release date for this show. It was originally moved up to December 2020 before the pandemic hit. It was supposed to be in 2021 originally. Now it was supposed to come out in December. I think late November makes a lot of sense. I think they may have even moved it up a couple more weeks because people are starved for Marvel movies and TV shows. Guys, 2020 is going to mark the first year since 2009, which was the one year between Iron Man and Iron Man 2, if I'm not mistaken, that did not have an MCU movie. Since then, there has been one every year from 2010 forward until now. This is the first time that Marvel has not had a movie in an entire year. So, I think they really 
wanted to get this WandaVision show in there in 2020, and I think they even moved it up a little bit to accommodate everybody seething at the teeth for a Marvel property, a movie, a TV series, whatever it may be. People are dying for it. They're dying for it. And now it looks like we're going to get it. It is possible that this is not the release date, but I think that is very unlikely. I do believe this is the WandaVision release date. And if so, we do not have that much longer to wait until we finally, finally get to set our eyes on this beautiful, brilliant looking series that they've got set up for us here with WandaVision that could possibly even lay the stones in the groundwork for the entire MCU to come. I know I said that about the Nick Fury show, but I think WandaVision is where it all starts, and Nick Fury could kind of segue into that new stream that I think WandaVision's going to create and go from there. Next up here, we've got Richard E. Grant confirming that he has been cast in Marvel's Loki Disney Plus show coming next year. So the days of Tom Hiddleston playing the God of Mischief in the MCU appeared to be done with Infinity War, if we all remember, and then we all got excited with his little timeline breach in Endgame and the possibility that he could show up in the MCU later on, and then that possibility being confirmed with the announcement of the Loki TV show. Guys, I love Loki. I named my damn dog after him. One of my dog's names, Loki. I love the Loki name. I love the Loki character. I love the Loki actor, Tom Hiddleston. He is fantastic. He was really the first really good villain of the MCU, in my opinion. He 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 might even be the best one to this day. I mean, Thanos definitely gives him a run for his money. Um, Winter Soldier gives him a run for his money, you know, before he became good. You know, there, there are some good villains in there. But for the most part, I do believe Tom Hiddleston's Loki was the original best baddie that I'm, I'm gonna, that's just what I'm going to call him here. And Hiddleston himself even knew that Loki was going to meet his demise in Infinity War. And so he had talked about how he played the role in Ra- or, uh, Ra- Thor, yeah, Thor Ragnarok differently. So he approached that role in, in that movie in particular a lot different because he thought it was the true end for his character. Then he comes to find out the show's coming and whatnot. And the show just sounds absolutely fantastic. I mean, you've got, I'm going to call him, you've you got time cops after him. Loki looks like he's basically going to be a time pirate is what I'm going to call him. I mean, a lot of things are still to be revealed about that show. But man, man, oh man, Richard E. Grant, great actor, great addition. Looks like he's going to fit right in with this cast in this show. And he does join the likes of Owen Wilson, oddly enough. You got Sophia DiMartino as Lady Loki. The set photos came out that, that seemed to confirm that. That's not officially confirmed, I don't believe. But it was also reported that Richard E. Grant had a role in Loki, but the actor's casting was never officially confirmed until now. We do not know exactly who he's going to be playing, but he did say that it's a mystery role, and it will also be a costumed character. Now, if you look at the tweet that he had tweet out about this, he had posted a picture of him and Hiddleston side by side, and it is eerily, eerily very much alike those two pictures. Those two pictures look exactly alike. Could it be possible that he is playing another version of Loki? I mean, is that is that even possible? Could it be playing the older version of Loki? I think that is very, very likely, even though I don't think the gods really age, but I guess they do. So he would have to be like a very, very old version of Loki. Uh, Man, I don't know, but it really intrigues me to see what he could do here. As he's a great actor, 
now the more I think about it here, the way he posted those pictures side by side, now eerily similar they look, I do believe he is going to be playing an older version of Loki or another family member of Loki that maybe we don't know about. I, I don't know. I, I'm just I'm just throwing speculation balls out here, guys. But man, thinking about this Loki show and what they can do, I mean, you do you are going to have time travel involved, obviously. So that makes it even more likely that he's playing an older version of Loki. I do believe that is the case, actually, the more and more I think about it. And I also get more excited for this movie, or sorry, series, the more and more I think about it. All right, to wrap up Marvel Weekly here, we got our first official trailer for the Marvel 616 docuseries. Now, it's going to be a history docuseries exploring all kinds of things about the Marvel Universe, and it's actually going to be coming out on Friday, November 20th. Now, you can check out the official trailer and poster online at comicbook.com in particular for this series, and there is a list of episode titles and directors each. Here we go. Let's let's mention them here. First, we've got Japanese Spider-Man, directed by David Gelb. Higher, Further, Faster, directed by Gillian Jacobs. Amazing Artisans, directed by Clay Jeter. Lost and Found, directed by Paul Shear. Suit Up, directed by Andrew Rossi, if I'm saying that last name right. I'm probably butchering all of these. Unboxed, directed by Sarah Ramos. The Marvel Method, directed by Brian Oakes. And Marvel Spotlight, directed by Allison Brie, who you might recognize from Netflix's fantastic Glow TV show about the women of 1980s wrestling. So I'm sure through the content of these episode titles and directors, you can likely figure out what they're going to be about. However, it was previously confirmed exactly what two of the episodes are going to be. So the episode Higher, Further, Faster, directed by Gillian Jacobs, and I know I'm saying that right because I saw a Jimmy Kimmel Live episode a while back where she actually pronounced her name, saying that nobody knew how to pronounce that name. So I am very proud of the fact that I know this one. <laughs> the Higher, Further, Faster episode, directed by Gillian Jacobs is going to be shining a light on the trailblazing women of Marvel Comics and how they found ways to tell stories of representation and inclusion. The Paul Shear directed episode Lost and Found, following the actor and comedian's eye-opening and hilarious journey to discover the forgotten characters of Marvel Comics. And in a previous interview for Comic-Con at Home, series EP Jason Sturman said that he believes that these slices of storytelling will feel weighty enough to stand on their own and feel like their own movies. He said, The idea of the anthology aspect is using each episode as a way of telling a singular story. Each of these episodes kind of acts as its own individual film. We really wanted to bring in filmmakers who had a unique voice and unique vision and let them play within this universe by finding stories that they were impassioned about, something that piqued their interest. So, Marvel 616 is going to be produced by Marvel New Media with Supper Club. The series is EP'd by Joe Quesada, Shane Romani, Sarah Amos, John Cirilli, Harry Goh, and Stephen Wacker for Marvel, and Jason Sturman, Brian McGinn, and David Gelb for Supper Club. So the trailer itself, I am going to give the trailer four and a half Marvel comics out of five, and I'm going to give it an Undie Award because, man, it inspired the hell out of me. It made me want to watch this series right now. Just the beautiful thematic music they had playing throughout it. The awesome diverse things that they were throwing at you throughout that. The awesome cosplay and just all kinds of things. Great trailer. Really gets you inspired for the series. And that's why I'm going to give it an Undie Award. And it really showcased how diverse that this whole anthology 
docuseries can be and how it can focus on many different things other than just the history of Marvel Comics, which I think is a very, very smart idea. I think there is a ton of things out there in the Marvel Universe that need to be showcased and shed light on. Of course, there's a lot of things that already get a lot of spotlight attention from Marvel and from all of their fans and from the world in general, but there are so many little niche corners of the Marvel Universe, the whole 616 Universe in general, not just the comics, that really need recognition. And I think it's great that they're doing this. So I will be watching you on November 20th on Disney+. And that is going to wrap up Marvel Weekly. So let's hit up DC Weekly for the one news story that really rocked my world over the past week because I thought this was a brilliant casting. Let's hit up DC Weekly and talk about it. It's that time again, boys and girls, for the DC <laughs> Weekly. Hawk ladies and Hawk gentlemen, we have our Hawk man, Aldous Hodge, from the brilliant movie The Invisible Man, which I thought he was fantastic in, has been tapped to join Warner Brothers Pictures' upcoming DC Comics Black Adam movie starring The Rock. The news comes to us via The Wrap within The Hollywood Reporter, adding that final talks between Hodge and Warner Brothers are ongoing. Hawkman is a character that, at his most basic, is a hero with wings who swings a mace. Now, he's a lot more to that, as us comic fans know, and I believe this news was made official. Even if it wasn't, final talks almost never break down. It does happen, though. I do have to mention that. But I think it is safe to say Aldous Hodge is our Hawkman. And what a brilliant move by Warner Brothers to add even more diversity into their movies. But not just that. It's mainly because Aldous Hodge is an incredible actor. The man commands any screen you see him on. In The Invisible Man, he commandeered any scene he was in. He commanded it. He grabbed it with his fist and he owned it. The man is just a man. That I mean, I just don't know how else to put it. He's buff as hell. He just he, he just breathes strength and just breathes a great human being. The guy is a work of art. In, I mean, in every aspect, in his acting, in his body style, everything. The man's incredible. And, and I'm not sure you could have picked a better person to be Hawkman. There's many routes they could have gone. In fact, if you, I believe Alexander Skarsgård was, was in disgust. Well, uh, maybe he wasn't discussing being in the role. That could have just been a rumor. But there was a ton of rumors going out about how that was maybe even going to be announced at DC Fandom. I think I even posted something about it in the early days of this show. But I think this is a much better direction. Nothing against Alexander Skarsgård, but adding somebody of this caliber to an already stellar movie and pretty much more than likely going to be a stellar cast. I, I don't know any other better way to put it other than, I love it. The man is incredible. And he really got his breakout role in the, the TV show Leverage. But since then, he's been in Misha Green's acclaimed Civil War series Underground, the hit biopic Straight Outta Compton, and Hidden Figures, and like I mentioned, The Invisible Man, who I thought he was really, really good in. And as stated earlier... Hawkman, it, he's actually a unique character in DC Comics lineup. 20th century archaeologist Carter Hall discovered the mysterious nth metal wings that allow him to fly and a powerful mace to wield as his weapon. 
callings of his past lives push Carter to become the superhero Hawkman, and eventually, he discovers his past life origin as Prince Khufu, who was murdered by an nth metal dagger by a traitorous priest. Now, it actually depends by what origin you go off of, because there are a few of them. But if you guys do want a little bit of brush up on Hawkman and want to see a Hawkman in live action, you can see it in the first season of DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Now, I don't think those were the best Hawkman and Hawkwoman or Hawkgirl, whatever, adaptions. I, I thought Hawkgirl was really good, but Carter Hall in that show was, I thought it was just okay. Now, I've been wondering how they're going to pull off the outfit and not, you know, make it look modern, but not too silly. And there is actually some fan art recently released on Instagram from the user Detrenti Art. I tweeted and posted the picture on Twitter and Facebook, so go check that out. Facebook and Twitter, both at Underground, so you can see it there. But I thought it was a really good imagining of a modern-day Hawkman outfit, and I hope the actual outfit does look a lot like that fan art because it looked really good, and it also was able to showcase Aldous Hodge through the costume, not covering up his face too much, and showing just how much of a badass he really is. So I am very, very happy with this Hawkman casting news, and I would imagine we're going to get a lot more casting news coming out of the Black Adam movie as time goes on, and we inch closer and closer to the highly anticipated The Rock Black Adam. I cannot wait for it. Can. Not. Wait for it. Let me tell you. And that was the lone gun story I had for DC Weekly. The the sole survivor of the news roundup this week was that story alone, but it carried a ton of weight with it, and I was very happy to be able to talk about it. But it is now time to wrap up the show with Pop C Weekly. The Boys spinoff. In development at Amazon, a new boys spinoff show in the works that is going to focus on college teens with superpowers. Yeah, you heard me right. How much more insane could they make this whole franchise and focus it on college teens with superpowers? I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine? Well, we're not going to have to imagine for too much longer here. Because Amazon has announced this spinoff. It's real, it's happening, and I cannot wait for it. As according to Variety, the new series will be written and showrun by Craig Rosenberg and is reportedly set at a Vought International College exclusively for young adult superheroes. The trade describes the show as a college show meets The Hunger Games <laughs> with the same heart satire, and raunchiness of the flagship series. They also note that it will be an irreverent R-rated series that explores the lives of hormonal, competitive soups as they put their physical, sexual, and moral boundaries to the test like the show is doing itself, competing for the best contracts in the best cities. What they could do with that, I, I don't, I'm not even sure I want to think about it. But Rosenberg actually serves as a writer and executive producer on The Boys Proper, the actual show, and he will executive produce the new series. He is also joined once again by The Boys creator Eric Kripke as an executive producer alongside Seth Rogen coming back, Evan Goldberg, and James Weaver of Point Grey Pictures. Now at this point, it's unclear which, if any, characters from The Boys might appear in the series, though references to Homelander and The Seven 
do seem like a given for a The Boys TV show, right? So the specific idea of a college for soups wasn't really covered in the comics by Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson, but it, it's certainly something that could easily be explored given the extensive amount of soups that haven't yet appeared in the Amazon series. Now, one potential place that this series could take inspiration from is the spinoff miniseries for the boys titled Herogasm, which was a parody of major comic book events wherein the soups run off to have a vacation and take part in unimaginable debauchery with each other. Like I said, the comic is even worse than the TV show, if you could even imagine. Now, news of a spinoff shouldn't really come as a huge surprise, even though I was really greatly surprised by this news that it was dropped so soon, but it really actually in the overall scheme of things shouldn't be a huge surprise because the success of the boys is huge. The series was already renewed for a third season before the second had even premiered, and Seth Rogen previously claimed that it is the most popular project he has ever been involved with, and he was involved with Preacher, which is pretty popular. Now, Variety is reporting also that Amazon claims that the show's second season had the most watched global launch of an Amazon original series ever. The audience for the series has reportedly grown by 89% since the first season. 89% growth rate in your audience since the first season. That is massive. And perhaps the only group surprised by this increased popularity in the series are the audience members that have been review bombing the series' second season. Shame on all of you. Despite a higher critical score on Rotten Tomatoes, because some have been leaving one-star reviews in protest of the weekly... Uh, of the weekly aspect and approach to the new season, which, you know what, you know, yeah, it sucks that we can't watch it all at one time. Of course, I think it would have been better. I don't think it was a creative decision that fit with the show. I I think that's BS. I think it was a way of Amazon trying to expand their growth in the show even more, because if you do it that way, you get people excited for another episode, for another episode, for another episode. But I think there's too much risk involved with losing people there because if the second season isn't as good as the first, which it's not, but it's up there. I mean, it, it's, it is still an undie award in my book. If the second season isn't as good, you risk losing people because they may not be as willing to wait a week for the next episode. Whereas if it wasn't as good and you had all episodes out at once, they could just go to the next one and go to the next one and go to the next one and then decide at the very end. Doing it this way... You risk losing some viewers, but I don't think you're going to lose them because either way, season two is fantastic, especially this last episode. And I do think it still has the potential to get up there on the level of season one. It's never going to be as good as season one, okay? It's the first time you're trying it. It's the first time you're seeing it. Nothing's ever going to live up to it. Chasing the dragon and all that, right? That 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 is the whole idea that I'm spitting out here about the fact that no season two can ever be as good as a season one in a show that's not an anthology show, in my opinion, if that season one was as good as the boys season one was. it's just, You're just never going to get that feeling again, but you can replicate it and clone it to be almost quite as good, and I think the boys is doing just as good of a job as that as they've ever done. Obviously, there's only two seasons, but you know what I'm saying here. Season 2 is fantastic, especially with this last episode 6, and I think it can really, really turn up the dials with the last two episodes here and get way further up there, even closer to Season 1 than it already is. Titanfall 3 may be in development over at Respawn Entertainment. According to a Dexerto report, 
the existence of Titanfall 3 may be very real. Now, Respawn has now been better known for their Apex Legends uh, online service Battle Royale game, and rightfully so. It is a fantastic game. I play the shit out of it. I haven't played as much recently, but I played the shit out of it the last year or so. It is a great game. And I had become very concerned that we might not get a Titanfall 3 because of the success of Apex Legends, and maybe they would just want to continue to direct all of their focus towards that. But I was really holding out hope for a Titanfall 3 because I loved the first two games. And the second game improved upon the first game as much as the second game can improve upon a first game, in my opinion. I thought they were great. The, the concept of being able to jump in and out of your giant mecha robot thing is just fascinating to me. And the the, the gameplay was so fluid. And the way that you were able to jump in and out of that big robot and still compete on the battlefield was very impressive to me. Because even when you're just a regular man, the game is just as fun. And that's incredible to be able to strike that balance in a game like that. So I was really holding out hope for a Titanfall 3, and it looks like we just might get it here. As many different sources are citing a September 26th tweet from streamer The Neon Beast that stated, Titanfall 3 is for real. I'm pretty sure leakers can say the same because we have totally different sources. The good thing is, even with different sources, the rumor is exactly the same. So with many different sources citing this and saying that, that Titanfall 3 is for real and is happening, I think it's pretty safe to say that it will be in development. Uh, obviously, nothing confirmed here. It's very possible that it's not in development. But here's to holding out hope that we will get a Titanfall 3 because I am in love with the Titanfall series and think that it could be even greater, bigger, and badder on the next generation consoles. All right, next up, we got the first story trailer for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. We already had a trailer for it before, but now we have an actual story trailer that shows the setup for the story to come. And I am really excited for this Assassin's Creed game. I am not an Assassin's Creed game guy. I I've never been. I, ne I was never a big fan of stealth games, and that's mostly what Assassin's Creed was, but not anymore. It has morphed into an open-world RPG-like game more, more than anything else it does now, and it's carrying that forward with Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and that really gets me excited because open-world RPGs are my favorite kind of games. First-person shooters are up there as well, like Call of Duty, but open-world RPGs, they hold a special place in my heart, and, and I just, uh, there is nothing that I love more than getting a new, really good open-world RPG and just sinking hundreds of hours into it as time goes on. Because it's just, you, you get a sense of reward, you get a true sense that you're in a virtual universe somewhere else, being someone else, and it's a, it's a break from reality, especially the shit reality we all live in right now. I, I won't get into that anymore, but I, I love open-world RPG, so I'm really glad that that's what this game is, and I love Norse mythology. I thought God of War made a brilliant move by turning from the, you know, the Roman mythology over to Norse mythology, and I think it's going to serve Assassin's Creed very, very well, uh, very well here as well, because you can do this new invading aspect to the game where you can now invade certain parts of Britain, or England, sorry, and it's just... 
it, it looks really fun. It, it looks like it's going to be a ton of fun being a Norse Viking going in and just wrecking England up and just taking what you want and just fighting all over the place. A, a great open world aspect Assassin's Creed had brought, which they had brought with Odyssey that they're going to carry over here. That's going to be even more expansive on the two new consoles. Now they did move the date up to November 10th to coincide with the Xbox Series X launch date. So it will be launching alongside that title as well as the PS5 when it launches on November 12th. And I just wanted to mention this trailer because I'm very excited for the game. The trailer in general, I'm going to give, I'm going to go ahead and give it four Viking horns out of five, man. I I, I just am. I, I, I like the trailer. I thought it set up a really good story and I think it has a lot of potential. Now, I think it also has the potential to not be so good as some Assassin's Creed games have fallen to, but hopefully this one will not be one of those, and it will be another Odyssey, but better. Alright, we finally got the embargoes lifted for the Xbox Series X hand-on reviews. And I do want to mention here that most of these people were playing backwards compatible Xbox One games, so I don't think any of them have played any Xbox Series X games that were made just for that system, because there's really not many of them since Halo Infinite got delayed, and I thought that was a big problem for Microsoft until they then bought Bethesda and Zenimax Studios and all that and acquired all those studios, paid a hefty price of $7.5 billion for it. I go into it in very, very full detail on my last episode, episode 8. I talked a lot about it towards the end of that episode. Uh, I, I actually had a lot of fun talking about that. So here these guys are mostly playing Xbox One titles. However, what they are saying is very, very impressive. I think the highest praise so far is the quick resume feature and how you can have five or six games open at once. Now, remember, these are Xbox One games, so maybe think two, three, maybe four of Xbox uh, Series X games. I know I'm going to mix that shit up at some point. Such a dumb name. But they had six games open, and they could quick resume throughout each one. And if I'm not mistaken, they also mentioned how you could do a cold reboot of the system, meaning you could unplug it plug it back in, and go right back into these games. Now, I think if they're live multiplayer games and you're actually on a live service, once you leave one, it's going to shut that down. So, you're, so it's going to take a little bit longer to get back into that one and get that live service running again. And I'm not sure if you'll be exactly where you were when you left a, a live multiplayer game. I could be wrong about that. I have not seen the system myself. I wish I had. But these people are praising the hell out of this quick resume feature and the crazy fast load times. We're talking two to four, five seconds to go between these games. And we're talking 10 to 20 seconds on big time games. I mean, they did a comparison of like No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky takes like almost three minutes to load up on an Xbox One X. On the Series X, it took one minute, 27 seconds, if I'm not mistaken. We're talking about other games too that are going from two minute load times to 20 seconds load times. That is huge. They touted load times in the last generation and I think we were all very let down by what we actually got because they had talked about how load times are going to go away completely. And I, I don't think load times are ever going to go away completely. I think this is the best you're ever going to get. You could probably get it even closer in the next generation, of course. But we're talking five, maybe not five years. Not They're doing this shit every year now. But you, you know what I'm saying here. But it's finally here. The load times are essentially gone now. This is the most impressive we have ever seen. And the Series X is doing a killer job at load times. Like, the power of this system is huge. I mean, it's big. Now, a big downfall, though, 
is that it was revealed that it's going to take up 200 gigabytes for storage and operating system and other things that the system's going to need. So you're only going to have about 800 gigabytes of storage to actually put games on. That is a lot closer to the PS5's 800 plus gigabyte storage SSD that they have. So if you were thinking that the Series X was going to have a lot more storage room than the PS5 was, you might be mistaken. Now, it could come out that the PS5 operating system is going to take up 200 200 gigabytes itself. And if that's true, that really sucks. But if you're talking only a 50, 60 gigabyte difference, maybe even a 100 gigabyte difference, that is not a whole lot. That's one game, essentially, with, with the size that games are nowadays. So that's big news. But back to the positive side, they are really touting the power of the Series X and the things it can do, like quick resume, load times, and it's also improving the Xbox One games, almost doubling the frame rate, making it so much smoother in a lot of cases. I was very impressed by how much that they improved the Xbox One games just by simply playing them on a Series X. That is very, very impressive and they are really touting that and praising that the people that actually got the console and had their hands on it. And another thing that they are praising and talking about extensively is how quiet. Did you hear me there? How quiet it is. They are talking about that beast of a tower being very, very quiet. Not completely silent, of course, but very quiet. I have a PS4 Pro. That thing is louder than hell. That thing is so loud. It makes me worry about it. Sometimes I'm like, dude, are you okay? Like, do I need to shut this thing off for a second? So the fact that that Series X is as quiet as they are saying it's going to be, that's also impressive. It, it's looking really good for the Series X on the hardware front of it. As we all knew, it was going to be a little more powerful than the PS5. But man, we're hearing more and more about it. It's just looking better. Guys, if Microsoft does make the Bethesda games exclusive, I think you could look at maybe 2021 belonging to Xbox at the end of the year. Now, I think PS5 is going to own it for most of the time because they're exclusives like Horizon Zero Dawn. You got the new God of War coming out next year. I think they're going to own it on that front. But But later 2021, 2022, Xbox has a chance here to take them over and own it. And I think another thing that we have to think about when we think about Xbox is Game Pass. Think about it. These games, like like Starfield, for example, there's a rumor going around that Xbox is going to let Starfield go ahead and be on the PS5, but they're going to have like a huge advertisement basically for Game Pass in the beginning of the game and showing Xbox Studios and Microsoft and all that that you're not going to be able to skip. And basically they're going to rub it in your face or advertise to you and show you, look, you paid $70 for this game on the PS5. Come over to Xbox and you get it for free with the $15 Game Pass subscription. That That's a game changer to me. And that is reason enough alone that I am going to get a Series X on top of a PS5. I will just wait a year to get it. All right. To wrap episode nine up, we've got to review Fargo season four. Now, this is completely spoiler free. In fact, I'm not even going to touch up on many of the the story or the plot details of this uh, first episode at all. I'm just going to give you my overall impression of it. But before I do so, I want to talk about my love for Noah Hawley and Fargo in general. He was he did great on Legion too, but Fargo is a fantastic, fantastic show. The first season was absolutely undie award material. The second season, even more so. In fact, you could argue 
that the second season of Fargo is one of the greatest seasons of any TV show ever in the history of TV. It, trust me, it's that good. Season three faltered a little bit, but Ewan McGregor doing a dual role in that was, was brilliant. I thought he was really good, and I thought season three was better than a lot of people gave it credit for. Now, they still said it was a good season, but they said it didn't quite live up to seasons one and two, and I think that is true, but with that said, I still think it's really, really, really good. It's almost like Narcos season three compared to the first two seasons of, of that show, and, and that's a brilliant show as well, but I like to compare those two because I think it's very similar. Season three of Fargo is still really good and worth a watch. Season four, they they kind of switched things up because they were kind of getting a stick attached to the way that Noah Hawley was doing the Fargo seasons. They kind of were were kind of similar if you looked at all three of them, and he's trying to change that up here with season four, and I think he does a really good job so far. First off, I love seeing Chris Rock here. I, I think he's great. I think the characters are very robust in setting up a very good cast here in this new season. I love the introductions to these characters. And the first 25 minutes or so that you get the, the introduction to the economy of this alternate reality world, I want to call it, I thought really laid a good groundwork for the season to come. And I think the season can only get better and better. I am going to rate the first episode of Fargo Season 4, four Chris Rocks out of five. Yeah, I'm going to use Chris Rock. Four Chris Rocks out of five. I'm not going to give it an Undie Award, but I did really enjoy it. I'm going to give it a very good Stanley. Like I said, four out of five. And I don't think I gave a office rating, I, I want to call it, to uh, the uh, the Assassin's Creed trailer. I'm going to go ahead and give that a good Stanley as well. Not an Undie Award, but a good Stanley. So I'm going to I'm gonna keep with that here and give Fargo Season 4 Episode 1 a good Stanley as well. I, I thought I did a really good job setting up the season to come. Now, standing on its own, maybe it wasn't the best episode ever, but I do think it did a very good job at setting up what's to come. We had a very good villain set up, and I don't know if that would be a spoiler, so I don't want to talk about it too much, but I think we had a really good villain set up here. We had some really, really good production here. Just the world of 1950s Kansas City and this alternate reality, I think it is, is really robust and just breathing with life. And I think it is definitely worth paying the five or six bucks for Hulu just for this season of Fargo alone. I mean, Hulu is worth that hands down no matter what. But adding Fargo to it, it just makes it even better. I highly suggest if you guys liked any of the previous Fargo seasons to check this one out because this one looks like it's going to be a little bit different. And I have got to wrap this up here. I wanted to keep this episode under an hour and hopefully I can still do so. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I don't think I said it in the beginning of the episode, but I am Jordan, your host and producer. There you go. Now you know who's been talking to you this whole time. This is your first time listening. I do like to do 30-minute to one-hour episodes. They've been a lot more one-hour episodes recently, and I am back to multiple episodes a week. I I love doing this show. I appreciate it. I have a lot of passion that I spill out here, so thank you so much. If you would like to follow my takes and opinion, on social media as I do post and tweet all day long every day you can do so on Facebook Twitter and Instagram all at pop C underground you can also send in an email to the show at pop C underground at gmail.com and please if you enjoyed this episode or the show please go leave a review reviews help the show out more than anything share the post get the word out there We're rolling along here. We are almost at the 10-episode milestone, which is a big one to me. I know it's not episode 50. I know it's not episode 100, 200, 300, but I think episode 10 
is a big milestone because I don't see a lot of podcasts out there go past 10 episodes. I mean, you have tons of them out there, but some of them stop before they get to 10 because it's just not for them. So getting to 10 is a big deal for me. So I greatly appreciate if you've been listening since episode one or you just jumped in now. I don't care. Thank you so much. Go leave a review. I appreciate it. Tell your friends about it if you want. I don't know. You may be embarrassed. Who knows? (laughs) You know, I get a little crazy here, but either way, I I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for listening to this new podcasting adventure as I transitioned from the Supercast to this show. It's gotten more feedback and more listens than than I thought it would get at the beginning. So thank you so much. I owe that to all of you guys out there. We, we really are one big community. Whether we see each other, talk to each other every day, we all think alike and we are all on the same plane. So we all got to be out there for each other. And I'm here for you. I know you're here for me. Thank you so much, guys. I will see all of you on the next episode later. Later.